Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Alexa Mix. Uh, it's your host Adi Iyengar, and today on the panel we have Alan Weima. Hello. And our special guest Daniel Kalisa. Hey Daniel. Hey, how's it going, guys? Going great. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, yeah. Wh- yeah. Thanks uh, for having you- me. Yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, why you were invited, why everyone loves you, why you're so awesome, and all that? <laughs> why I was invited? Well, I work closely with Adi on the score uh, backend team, specifically the score bet and ESPN backend team, um, where we built our the team that we work on specifically is the risk and trading platform. And uh, we are a team of about 10 to 15 engineers. We built our system in full stack Elixir. We use LiveView on the front end. The back end, we use a lot of exciting uh, libraries like Broadway, Phoenix, um, Oban, and much more than that. Nebulix, something I've been working on with a lot lately. Uh, it's pretty pretty well thought out library. It's actually a very interesting, well put together library. Um, yeah, so that Adi asked me to be on the show, and at first, I wasn't sure why. But you know, I think I have a lot to talk about uh, from an Elixir perspective, but also from a software engineering perspective, and uh, yeah, computer science—you name it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, Daniel's being humble, guys. Uh, Daniel is uh, one of the best engineers I work with, uh, and I work with quite a quite a few good engineers. So yeah, I I just couldn't let uh, such an awesome engineer go under the radar, right? So yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, so yeah, Daniel, you said we work with Elixir at the score. How how did you get started with Elixir? What was your what was your first experience with Elixir, and how did you get into it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So. I kind of dates back to when I finished university. Um, so I, I graduated from the University of Toronto in computer engineering. And uh, my first job, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to be a game programmer. I wanted to <laughs> build all sorts of different things, but uh, ended up just sort of taking what I could get. And I ended up uh, working at uh, Razorfish, Sapient Razorfish, uh, consulting on the walmart.ca project. And I had a few options. I, um, I could work with uh, Java on their Java sort of product, like the, the Java aspects that they, that they had or work on Android or work with Scala. And I just chose Scala because I was really interested in like distributed uh, processing, really interested in like Spark, et cetera. Nice. Um, so I started working with Scala and then I was introduced to the world of functional programming. Um, I've only heard of it uh, <laughs> at the time, but started working with it some really really intelligent uh, people there some you know master level um, mathematics people working with Scala so they introduced me to sort of to the the deep the deep end of functional purely functional programming using like category theory you know like monoids monads all that That's fun awesome. stuff um, so working with that that was quite the rabbit hole didn't really need to get that deep but uh, Scala was definitely like a sort of the first um, my first exposure to a functional programming language and I had a lot of fun using it. And, you know, you could s- quickly realize the benefits of working with purely functional um, programming languages. I guess the part of the system that I worked on for Walmart, there was the sort of the API gateway layer, um, the orchestration layer, um, which was mostly stateless. So you can imagine that purely functional is pretty, anything that's purely functional is pretty good uh, use case for 
um, or sorry, like a, something that's stateless is a good use case for a functional language. Um, so after that, I worked there for about a year and a half, and then I moved over to a small oil and gas startup called uh, Validir. Um, they basically built an oil and gas analytics platform. They had IoT, they had consulting. Uh, I jumped over there, and the primary language they used was Elixir. They built their backend system with Elixir Phoenix. Um, the use case seemed pretty fitting. Uh, as like, they wanted to support sort of uh, a lot of IoT devices in the field. Um, and they decided to use Elixir because it was uh, good for distributed fault tolerance, um, data processing from like IoT devices or, or et cetera. Um, so what, what we ended up building mostly was just like a Phoenix uh, web app, though we didn't really use it for the actual IoT side. We ended up building, I think, the... Um, IoT devices were just, the POCs were laptops that were in very remote uh, oil sort of towns in Canada and the US, and they were just running Python. They were just laptops running Python with a bit of a, a network. Fair enough. Uh, we never ended up replacing them or using like nerves or anything like that, but we definitely sort of looked towards that. I don't think that was the main initiative or there wasn't really a, a business case to be made to replace everything with the nerves. Um, so we just ended that that just ended up the IoT devices just ended up being Python scripts on a laptop in the field for <laughs> for the gotcha. time that I was there. Um, but in terms of Elixir, this is my first exposure to Elixir. I started working on our web app there. Um, I didn't just do Elixir there. I did a lot of um, data process, like data uh, processing, a lot of um, data sort of engineering with Python, as well as um, working, I guess, with a with a startup, which I think I joined when there was about 10 or 12 members. So we were a lot of uh, hats. We're doing all the Terraform configurations, all the cloud setup, all of the Elixir backend. We did the uh, React um, front end. Um, we, I think we used AWS. So that was pretty cool. But um, towards the end, when the team grew, I think we grew to like over 100 people by the time I left. Um, so it was mostly focused on Elixir. But um we had a lot of trouble hiring good elixir engineers i think mm. as a lot of startups do uh you know elixir engineers are few and far between it is definitely a very niche and distinct skill set from what i've seen in the industry and uh tough tough to hire for especially when you know your company isn't exactly like very popular or like a household name um like the score or espn or barstool right. um so, but I worked with Elixir there, mostly just Phoenix, some exposure to some other interesting, li uh, cool libraries. Like Oban was definitely a big piece of that, just like it is now. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and then from there, I just, uh, Jason was, Jason reached out to me and some other uh, friends who worked at the score. They, I think for a couple of years, they were asking me to come join because they needed solid Elixir engineers. And then eventually I just decided to jump ship because I, you know, just wanted to try something new. Work in a, maybe in a domain that was a little more interesting to me. Awesome. And, when did you join that uh, first uh, startup? Uh, I'm trying to get uh, gauge. Oh, like, timeline. Sure. Yeah. What was the community uh, at at that time, and how hard it was to hire, and how it changed, and stuff like that? Um, I think at the time the community was good, very supportive community, very helpful. Um, we ended up going to Elixir Conf. Um, basically every year we went to all the meetups in Toronto community was solid. There's a lot of very smart people, um, but there wasn't a lot of people. So that was, I guess mm. the big problem is that there was just scarcity in terms of talent and um, 
this is a bit difficult to hire for Elixir. Actually, it was it was actually uh, so difficult to hire that uh, after sort of the core Elixir guys left from Valadir, um, we uh, I think they scrapped the whole Elixir project and moved to like wow. Node.js and uh, something something a little easier to hire for. Um, so that, that was uh, it's I, like it's the reverse is true for the score. I mean, they have a lot more. Uh, I think it's a lot more attractive from uh, from a domain perspective. It's sports mm. and sports gambling. I feel like there's a lot of people who are interested in, in sports. Um, these the um, company names are pretty household names, so I feel like they have a lot easier time attracting the talent. Um, but overall, but the community community was super helpful. Like we, I think we had developer subscriptions with um, I can't remember. It was like Jose's. Uh, company um but they were like reviewing him and Dashfit. a few others were reviewing our could have been dashfit i think it was dashfit and they were reviewing our prs and stuff and super helpful um really smart really like a lot of uh, information from the elixir conferences you meet a lot of cool people so the community is, is definitely awesome and uh it's growing fast gotcha. but at the time it was like pretty small and just diff- a little bit difficult to hire yeah, I I think I remember the when Dashbit was platform tech, right? I think at that time they were very actively helping with reviews and stuff, and I think they were not very expensive to hire either, right? I think they were like uh, for for uh, I think they just wanted to like obviously get paid, but also uh, help with adoption and stuff. So uh, I think that kind of work often gets uh, like doesn't get a lot of. Uh, uh, recognition that uh, platform tech did to like uh, promote Elixir. So it's it's good to hear another example of another company that kind of leveraged that. That's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we tried uh, consulting as well, from what I can remember. Um, that didn't work out as well as we had hoped. But um, overall, like the platform, I was working with some very brilliant engineers there, Elixir, Elixir, and front end engineers, and super smart people. Some of the best engineers I worked with. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know, didn't really work out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The company's still doing well, I, I believe. But uh, from the Elixir perspective, I think <laughs> it's pretty much dead. But <laughs> Yeah, we don't care about them if they're not using Elixir, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Alan, you got any questions uh, for Daniel about uh, his Elixir journey? I'm kind of curious about why the uh, consultants don't, didn't work out because you know, I'm a consultant in Elixir, so I was curious about, you know, like, uh, yeah, how, you know what? What actually happened? Maybe I can learn from this. Um, so I think the biggest reason was just the time zone difference because we had we ended up hiring uh, consultants from Europe, and it was just a bit difficult to sort of. It was like a little too asynchronous in in a, in a way. Um, the domain was quite complex, um, and it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that the consultancy didn't work out, but it was also like we didn't let it work out either. I think we didn't give them enough tools to like understand the domain and and a lot of a lot of the jobs that we were giving them were implementing a lot of business logic and domain was quite complex um not terribly well documented from uh and it's just pretty fast moving so it wasn't like super well documented so i think it was a two-way street i would say like we just didn't provide them with enough tools to to allow them to be productive but on the other side um, maybe the time zone differences were a bit difficult for us to deal with as well. So. Yeah, which time zone were you working with? That's also kind of curious. Too. Oh, I'm EST, so uh, but we were working with some, I think like 
somewhere like in the Bulgaria area that in Europe. So it was like six or seven oh, okay. hours or so. Yeah, the reason I ask is like I ran into a, a company that had their whole engineering department, all Elixir guys, all based out of mm-hmm. Philippines. And they're based oh, wow. in London. I mean, it's not a huge time difference, but still, it's just like, like the whole engineering team is in Philippines. And I was really shocked. I think that's a difference, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, th- I think if you have your uh, senior senior engineers also in a similar time zone that understand the domain, that built the app, and, you know, who can, like, mentor uh, the newer consultants, right, who otherwise don't have the same level of knowledge, that might work out. But I think that it's it gets tricky. In my experience, it gets tricky if you have, like, a, you know, a few of senior, senior engineers in, you know, say, particular argument in, in the US time zone and uh, they built the initial part of the app and the app is getting bigger like oh let's hire you know offshore for you know cost or whatever reason and then it starts getting tricky because you know like Daniel said documentation and onboarding um, seniority as well of those people like how senior they are how used to they are reading code and understanding things quickly like all those things get very important and um, there's also a sense of detachment when you know uh, um, it's hard for them uh, uh, it's hard to get them invested in you know your company with the time zone difference because you don't work as as often with them and that further amplifies because they uh, there's already a lot of code they have to read you know that the motivation even further decreases for them to you know get ramped up uh at least the, the, it's kind of consistent with my experience uh do you haven't tried to do that three or four times should i just, should I just kill this conversation <laughs> no it's just no just curious, no no right? um, not at all yeah yeah, yeah. I've been there before where we're we're working with somebody in like Switzerland. It was a little bit tricky, but you kind of had to balance like, okay, at this time I need to save the things I need to work with them for. And then at this time we're not together. So then I can focus on the stuff that I know how to do and I could just crank it out and nobody bugs me. So it's, 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 it's tricky, right? Especially in the beginning where it's like, you need a lot more FaceTime, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, in my first job out of school, I worked at a consulting agency and we were a dedicated team for, like like I said before, like walmart.ca, a uh, pretty big project. Um can sometimes feel um, a little bit, I, I don't want to say it like this, but like second class. So you can feel somewhat of like a second class citizen to the actual um, developers that might work uh, in-house. In um, sometimes you don't have the access to the appropriate um like uh systems or um you might not be invited to maybe meetings that might have been important to invite like engineers to or consultants to so it can be it's just like a tricky balance to like how far do you want to immerse the consultants like can you give them the right work to work on i guess in in a sense like um if you're leading for them for their like elixir or whatever technology expertise like uh, how far like how much of it is just the expertise on the technology versus the expertise in the domain as well? Like, and those things kind of they blend together sometimes. Like, it's not uh, it's not always a very clear division, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna uh, switch uh, gears a little bit. Um, so, Daniel, having worked in um, Scala, Python, I heard Java as well a little bit, and now Elixir. What about Elixir? Uh, do you see, you know being different from those languages, you know, what are, what are Elixir's advantages and maybe disadvantages, disadvantages in this case too? Yeah, I'll definitely go into the disadvantages. So we'll go into the <laughs> advantages first. Uh, advantages? Um, so 
I, I'm just like pleasantly surprised how easy, not surprised, but it's, it's really pleasant how easy it is to start up like a project, how quickly you can sort of get from zero to a working product to a deployed um, binary. How It's pretty quick and seamless process. Um, the, it's, it's, uh, the, the syntax is really simple. It's easy to sort of grok, um, but it's also very easy to create very, like, a lot of spaghetti code. Um, you can easily, with all the pattern matching and all of the the uh, different sort of um, asynchronous or structures, you can you can get lost pretty quickly if you, if it's not written sort of in a in a nice way. Um, but overall, the syntax is quite easy to follow, and you can achieve pretty complex, seemingly complex things very very rapidly, especially in terms of like concurrency, um, in terms of like fault tolerance and like yeah. restarting failed. Um, uh, failed children under a supervisor, the, the whole notion of like gen servers, all that stuff is really, it's, it, it's could, it's so simple, but you can build so many complex things pretty quickly and get it running fairly well, pretty quickly. So I, I do, that's one of, one of the nice things about Elixir, the, the documentation system they have is really nice. Um, I, I find it so much more palpable than especially something like uh, Java. Um, right. like if you go to through the Java docs, like very, very corporate, very, uh, um, like just like, I want to fall asleep when I'm reading Java docs basically. Um, but make like, I love, I love, uh, like Elixir documentation. As long as you write good documentation, it's still dependent on whether you write the good documentation, but it's, it's, it's nice. It's like, it's nice. It's easy to navigate through. Um, that's definitely one of the, the positives. Um, the, fact that it's like a purely functional program uh programming language with such a simple syntax like uh, right it does sometimes take a bit of time to grok or, or like when you have such an object-oriented way of thinking or such a imperative way of thinking it can be difficult to sort of make that transition to something that's purely functional um but once you do you sort of quickly realize the benefits and, and it makes side effects a thing of the past a little bit like you don't have to worry about side effects too much unless you're interacting with like other other systems um so that that's really nice like uh, uh the i guess let me think about what else i really like what else is awesome about elixir um pattern matching is pretty sweet i guess we had it in scala but like pretty pretty nice uh, uh it's totally the the macros I, I'd say macros are pretty awesome. Um, love programming with macros. It makes a lot of it makes you reduce. Uh, you can write like DSLs pretty easily. Um, yeah. It reduces. It can reduce a lot of uh, code, but you know compile time could end up being a little bit worse if if you if you're abusing macros a little too much. But um, there's like okay. a lot of a lot of very very big positives. I can go into the negatives. Um, type. Type safety is the biggest one for me. One of the big ones for me. There's definitely a lot of runtime typing errors that can crop up, and uh, that's something that is easy, somewhat easily avoidable in a statically typed system, as long as you're using the, the types correctly, the typing right. correctly. So that's probably one of the disadvantages. Um, a bit, I, I'd say, one of the biggest struggles has been the sort of the immaturity of of Elixir and in, in the sense like the Erlang VM is very like mature, very pretty robust. It's been around forever, but the Elixir itself, like the library support for a lot of things could be a lot better. Um, examples, just 
plugging into some um, very standard uh, like uh, database systems like Redis cluster or something I've been right. looking into lately. And uh, it's been a bit, bit difficult to sort of connect to that and, and, and do it in a way that's, um, I guess, robust and resilient. Um, so that's just like another example. Another example is um, when I worked at Validir, one of the interesting, we, we, we did a lot of analytics. We had a lot of data scientists. So we had a lot of machine learning models, but um, just, just models in general where there was all pretty advanced mathematical functions that were being used. Um, and we wanted to use a lot of those in our application, like bake them into our app. Um, and there were some certain like minimization functions that you just couldn't run in Elixir at all. Um, so we couldn't actually just, so we actually had to like pre-compute a, a list or mm. a, uh, just like a, I guess like a, a chart that says like, oh, if it's between these values, then it's this like interpolate between these values. So we, we, we use like pre-computed charts because you didn't have certain like minimization functions or, or whatever in Elixir. Um, that's not, obviously it's not its primary like its primary competence, I guess, or like primary use case to do heavy computation in Elixir in general. But uh, that was like one of the things that would have been nice if they just had like more sort of um, better like math uh, fun like math function support and stuff. Um, but that's that's sort of not Elixir's bread and butter, so it's understandable. Um, but in general, yeah, that that's the two shortcomings: is type safety sort of the immaturity of of the of the um of the libraries um just because it's a young language there's not a ton of libraries out there sdks you know elixir that most companies that are releasing their products like data providers they won't have sdks in elixir so we've been there's been a few cases over right. the last few years i've been working with elixir where we sort of have to write data ingestion from scratch in Elixir, like data ingestion pipelines from scratch, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I like that. That's really fun. But sometimes it's it's nice when you have an SDK you can easily use. Um, there's not as many gotchas because the SDK sort of deals with a lot of the gotchas. Um, uh, so those those are the two two main things that are not they're not bad. I'm not uh, I'm not going to say they're bad things, but uh, I think. I don't know if it was in the last Elixir Conf. I wasn't able to watch all the talks, but I think they're trying to introduce like types into Elixir. Into the yeah, that's the design. next big project. They announced yeah. it. I mean, that'd be awesome. I, I would be. I would actually make Elixir like <laughs> almost perfect for me. <laughs> I, I guess it depends on depends on how they implement it. But yeah, yeah I think it would true. really add add a lot of value. I I, to, I totally agree with. Uh, everything you said, Dan. I, th I think the key points that I especially want to highlight again. So I think what you said: the ease of uh, building new systems that are moderately scalable. Like mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's very hard to build web apps and with a, a wide array of features with that level of scalability, like mid to mid large <laughs> for like a better word scalability with that little effort that, that's a huge win mm -hmm. um it's like a, you know same effort as ruby on rails right but which is like opposite of, of that uh in terms of scalability uh totally agree over there uh and i agree on the um on the maturity as well i think that's something uh we've been running uh into a, at, at the score as well a little bit i can talk about it a, very little, but I think it's like all the libraries. Let's say Oban, for example, right? Like I think they break. They st oh, they really 
are not meant to be used after a specific mm-hmm. amount of scale, right? Uh, and there isn't an, an alternative to use like a different type of a store uh, and, then the, and then the database, uh, Postgres uh, in Elixir, because, you know, again, most companies that use Elixir don't need that. So, uh, yeah, maturity could be really used. I do want to say for type system, I've had great experiences in Gleam a couple of times. Uh, uh, with uh, Generally, I, I, I uh, fall, fall back to type systems when I need to solve a more complex problem, right? Like that, that the compiler can catch. Uh, uh, definitely, it's like NP-complex problems and stuff. Like it's, uh, you know, something that is not a non-deterministic kind of a problem. I uh, love using type system for that, defining type for like number ranges and stuff. And Gleam supports the whole Hindley-Milner uh, syntax and can be compiled into the same, um, within the same, uh, you know, um, the umbrella of apps, uh, not not the Elixir umbrella, but like within the same application, you can use the compiled Gleam binary as an application in Elixir and vice versa, right? And that's a huge uh, advantage too. So we would love, we would, uh, would uh, really recommend you to uh, uh, check that out uh, if, if, if you're into type systems and want to use that in the Elixir ecosystem. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome. I think we actually have used sort of, uh, I think in, I've used all of the, um, I would say, uh, like constructs or, or, capabilities that Erlang and Elixir have to offer in terms of interoperability with like um, other languages, I guess. Um, like, and for example, like port, we've used port on my right. last company. We use, we use NIFS. We, and then here uh, we used um, with one of our projects, we actually used, um, there was this one with Java from Erlang. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but we actually ended up getting it working. We just uh, ended up scrapping the project for a different reason, but, um, just don't remember what it was, but it, it was a way to interface, um, like pass messages to a Java app um, from from uh, a Erlang process. So it was pretty neat. So I pro- I think I I think that's about all of the everything that's available <laughs> to yeah. sort of interoperate or or be able to sort of call functions or or functionality from other programming languages or other binaries. Yeah, I've heard of the J interface thing with Erlang. I've never that's the J interface. Yeah, that's I, I've called. never known anyone to try it in production. So that's uh, yeah, that that's really cool. We would have rolled it out. We actually would have rolled it out. I think like wow. it was pretty close. Um, we had to scrap the project entirely, but it was working. We had it uh, we had it working here. Interesting. Wow. It's um, funny that you talk about this because uh, I just went to Code Bean, and uh, Sasha Yurik. I think he's going to be coming on the show. I think next week or something. Yeah. Um, in his talk for CodeBeam, he actually talked about how they were interfacing with uh, a Java library because it was. So um, I, I I didn't notice, but I I heard that Kafka like the, it's all made in Java, I think. And then the their mm-hmm. library, they're like developed like the client libraries developed in parallel with the the Java server part. Yeah. And so the best feature parity is I've, is definitely the uh, the Java one. And like everybody else is like they have to kind of catch up whenever something new happens. And I guess clients are not really dumb. They're like super full of features, make mm-hmm. things work. And so he talked about how you try using the J interface one, which I guess treats treat a Java app like a, like another process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then he went over using it to a port, which is kind of interesting. So he's actually using ports to send commands. And this, it's funny that you talk about this because I just heard about this. And it's kind of interesting that you could use it as a port or you can use a J interface. So yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you could take a step further and you, you can use NIFs if you want, if that's possible. I guess if with Java specifically, it might be more difficult. I think NIFs right. are usually with like C. Yeah. The CD, I know I learned recently that the CDC, I think there's a CDC library, uh, CRC, what am I saying? CRC yeah. uh, library is, is, a, is a NIF, I believe. Um, oh, really? I, I, know I just that. learned like recently. Yeah. I think it uses. I didn't look at it too in depth, but I think it uses some C, C programs. It makes sense. I think the CRC is uh, you want it to be fast. Right? Yeah, so. yeah, it, it does use NIFs. Let's see. Wow, I did not. I, I didn't even know there was a CRC library in Elixir until recently. Until you told me a, a couple of weeks ago. So that's, that's me neither. Really cool. <laughs> So I guess uh, now that we've talked about pros and cons of Elixir, what uh, besides the type system, what what are things uh, do you uh, see that that are happening in the community that you're excited about? It it could be something you know, I don't know, like a random project that you might have heard of that someone is working on, or a library, uh, um, or anything in general. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, so I, I'm pretty excited. I, I'm always very interested. I actually haven't kept up with it, but the, the development with the, the nerves um, system, uh, like library, really cool. I haven't I haven't really played with it, but I want to. I think it's I've, every time I go to like Elixir Comp, I'm always pretty excited to hear about what they have on the horizon for that. Even for Phoenix, like I'm very excited every time. Um, and I'm so bad with names. Um, what's his name? The, the Phoenix. Um, Chris McCord? Phoenix guy. Yeah, Chris McCord. That's the name. Uh, always really interested to hear what he has uh, to talk about. Um, seems like a really smart guy. And just pretty. it's pretty amazing, like, the stuff he's doing. Um, one of the other things, I think I was watching something the other day about Bandit or Thousand Islands. I don't remember what it was called, but uh apparently much faster than like cowboy um yeah so it's pretty interesting be int- i kind of want to look into that a little bit um that was that was that was quite interesting um working a lot with nebulex lately and just sort of realizing like how 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 awesome it is like um one of the things we talked about um at, at, at the other day with a couple of the engineers was um they we so we use the decorators from Nebulix um, for and the decorators you sort of decorate a function whose response you want to cache in whatever cache um, adapter you're using, um, and it can take like parameters from your parameter list and use them as keys in the decorator. And I think people were assuming that this was a functionality of just the decorator like um of uh of like elixir decorators like the built-in decorators but no this was actually completely written in like nebulex like you can't actually from what i understand you can't actually do that uh like so what they tried i think we had an internally built library that had implemented some decorators and they were trying to um bind or take the uh, one of the parameters from the parameter list and put it in the decorator, hoping that that parameter would be shown up in whatever um, system that the decorator was sending data to. But it didn't work at all because th- that's not like a decorator uh, native feature. Um, it's something that was built on Nebulix. So I thought that was really cool. I actually tried to go through that rabbit hole. I haven't looked into it. I haven't figured out exactly how it works, but I've been looking at the code a little bit. Um, but something really interesting. As it really like blew my mind. Uh, Nebulix is like, you know, it's just from the, on the surface, it's just like a cache 
sort of library, right? With, with just basic cache um, APIs, but you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a lot more than that. I'm pretty impressed with it. I was definitely going down that rabbit hole a bit lately. Um, what else? Something exciting. Uh, trying to think. I mean, Oban is always cool. Uh, definitely the more, I guess we work with it, even the last company you worked on, it's, it's, it's really, it's a really useful library. Um, and I think now we're pushing it to its limits. So it's exciting to sort of find ways to improve its performance. Cause I think it's, it's really well-written and it's really well-maintained and support for it is, is incredible. Um, and I think we're just getting to this this point where it's like now we have to start scaling it better or you know modifying or adding our own plugins to sort of make it run faster. Um, but the fact that it's even pluggable is really awesome too. So it's right. such a I, th- I think that's that's always been my go-to when anyone asks me what my favorite Elixir library is. It's always Oban. I I, I find it uh, pretty awesome um, for the, the reasons I mentioned. Um, the other one, I don't remember what it was called. It might have been like called Axon or something. Um, but it was with the the layers and like a neural network. It was yep. sort of for the neural network computations. I don't remember what the library was called. But that was it's pretty Axon. cool. The fact yeah. that they have is it Axon? Yeah. That was pretty interesting. I haven't looked at that in a while, but when I I, was, I remember sort of deep diving into that when it came out and that was a really interesting library. So a lot of cool stuff in Elixir for sure. Still like pretty green. A lot of it's very green, but a lot of I, I think the community is very live and well. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's growing quite a lot, and there's a lot of cool things that keep just getting better. So I, I'm very bullish on you know Elixir for sure. Um, very powerful language. Uh, a lot of cool libraries. You can build a ton of cool like data processing pipelines. Uh, definitely use that. Um, the one of the nice things is just how easy it is to like distribute. Um, distribute work, uh, or sorry, distribute, uh, sorry, not distribute, parallelize uh, work across like a collection, like an enumer- enumerable. I just right. find it so, so easy. Like you just call it t- task async stream, something like flow, it just makes it so easy. Like having those sort of primitives, or not necessarily primitives, but like libraries or function functionalities that make things like that so easy is one of the, one of the big advantages of, of Elixir. Um, that I find. So something like Flow, really cool. Broadway, I'm not super familiar with Broadway, but it's, it's so fascinating to me. It's just, uh, I, I, we use it. It kind of just works, but I, it's like, it, it works really well. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it's pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah, I, I would agree with a lot of those picks. I, I think one thing you mentioned specifically about the paralyzing as an enum, I think that is a pretty awesome uh, ability. I would just love if we could find a way to add more control in terms of memory usage there. Uh, I know in Go, for example, you can spin up X processes and mm-hmm. only sh- uh, share, shard the memory into six of those. And those X processes can like you, you know, use it amongst those. You can like manage how much memory multiplication you're doing and stuff like that. Um, it's not, you can do it in Elixir with like Genesis and stuff, right? But it's mm-hmm. not readily configurable in like a, <clears throat> uh, I think Flow would be a good library to add add that to. 
um, um, to kind of control um, kind of like memory buckets that these processes can access. Um, yeah, I think I think that that's like my only my my only, I guess like place where Elixir can do start doing better. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, the memory is like is some sort of like shared memory across the right. Like yeah. uh, I guess the the function over the enumerables. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so yeah, you you basically uh, share your uh, stack, um, mm-hmm. not across every process you spin, but across specific process. So how you would do this in Elixir is like uh, define a gen server and mm-hmm. uh, define a handle call for any you know values defined. Put that as a state, right, of that gen mm-hmm. server, and call returns the uh, value of that variable in the state. Uh, uh, and the, obviously the problem becomes if you have 100 processes and only one of those gen server, that becomes a bottleneck, right? So you should be able to control the number of gen servers as well so th- that load can be balanced as well as the memory can be balanced uh, um, for the processes. But yeah, uh, I feel like Elixir does give a lot of tools here to paralyze, but I think it's very easy to have mem- run into memory issues uh, depending mm-hmm. on, especially in the data processing pipelines, right? So that could help with a little with the memory issues. Yeah, fair enough. In this specific use case, this is assuming that the memory is sort of like um, useful for all of the, uh, I guess, no, like uh, elements that you're processing, right? Like in a case where maybe you are pulling data from a different endpoint yeah. in each element, um, like you only care about what the data. Let's say each each is like an endpoint or or an ID or something, and you right. call an API for each of those elements in the you know. I guess in that case, like you don't you don't really care um, about like sharing the memory across uh, each of those processes. But in that case, in in the case that you mentioned, I think yeah, that would be there's not like an easy way to do that. I guess you have to reason more about um, how many gen servers you spin up and manage exactly. their state and. Um, you, so you're saying in, in Go, is it's easier to do that? Something yeah, there's like a this. configuration when you spin oh. up, a, a, I guess, a equivalent of task.asyncstream mm-hmm. has um, an option for number of processes to share memory um, across as well. Mm, so if, really you, cool. if, 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 if your concurrency for the task is 10, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the concurrency, of the, your memory is 10x as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like a use case for that. Um, as I at least any time I've used task async stream, I've never really had the problem or like worried about having to share memory across like those processes that are spun up and and you know process the ele- each element. Um, so I'm not I guess, like, mostly computation, and if you if you if you get a lot of data and you want to parse it and Mm-hmm. do you know uh, operations on that data instead of external right api i think that's that's usually like data data, yeah, data competition and parsing yeah so if you're like collecting so, some data like if you're do, maybe even doing like a map reduce or something where you're collecting exactly of something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good uh, that's a good point yeah i don't think there is anything like that um <laughs> that's that's interesting i didn't think of that yeah i had this exact problem at one of the startups uh, that I helped um, um, last December, um, we were just getting out of memory. Um, it's it's crazy. They were able to deal with a lot of scale. They were uh, mm-hmm. the app was dealing with uh, changing market rates for real estate, 
Um, mm-hmm. And for every market rate change, every little thing uh, that was changing, it had to do several other computations because the, it was commercial real estate and there were like multiple little properties in that, right? So every change would like blow up uh, <laughs> the, the memory and like it was just like ridiculous. Like, oh, uh, the, the, the solution was like, oh, let's spin up gen servers to share memory and um, um, uh, define call functions and add some metaprogramming to return whatever the stack trace is of the function in which the gen server was. Uh, oh, that's really interesting. And so it was essentially like a repeated, um, like you were copying memory across all of these processes or like, okay. Yeah. And then that was what's blowing it up. And there was no benefit of, of reducing the number of um, concurrence, concurrent processes or. Oh, that, that wasn't because it was more computation heavy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. And there wasn't like a, straightforward way to know what memory would be accessed by right makes sense yeah that's a really interesting uh use case yeah oh i, I want to th- i have to think about that that's cool it's probably not useful uh uh, uh in elixir at this point i mean it, it, it depends on if, if more problems come up right like yeah it just it was right in my mind because uh we had a pretty serious issue because of that um yeah. Awesome. Al- Alan, oh, you cool. got anything you want to see in Elixir <laughs> happen? I mean, do I want to see an Elixir? I, I don't know. That type system does seem pretty interesting. Uh, that one I'm pretty interested to see. No, I think that's probably the biggest one at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to think right now because there's so many things that they've been adding, like the mix install with like, with like one-off scripts because it, for me, I always thought Elixir doesn't make sense as a, as like a scripting language, right? But yeah. then now you can. Like, so... I don't know. I mean, I never really thought too much about that part. To be honest, it's more like I wish other languages had what it looks as, rather than the <laughs> other way around. Nice. Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. If something comes up, I'll let you know. I, I, I can't think of very much. What do you think about the new Phoenix directory structure? I, I, I have a feeling you might not like it. The... Uh, controllers and like the html inside oh that is uh, weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like there's like these html uh, is it folders i don't remember now it's also html modules but there's also html folders inside the controller folder (laughs) yeah i know what you're saying like they got like they got rid of the view which i thought was kind of weird but in all honesty like i i know why it's there but i didn't quite understand yeah, why we had to actually make the files, you know? It's yeah. It's really strange. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just... I, I think there's a conspiracy theory just to push us to start using live views for everything. That's <laughs> what I think what it is. Because that because live yeah. hasn't changed. That live folder's been there, right? Yeah, yeah. The controller thing is, is totally weird. Like with the HTML... What do you call that? You have to have an HTML... Um, what, what do you call that? I don't I even know. I think it's called HTML. It's like page... It's called HTML, HTML, but I thought there's yeah. like a formatter or something like that. Because like you can create a JSON one also, format your JSON stuff, right? Right. Um, I I I think the pattern is if you go in the web.ex now, there is a um, HTML type you can use HTML, right? Uh, um, use app web HTML like this controllers and. Um, what else was there? Live, live view. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think to me it was like really weird because I think the controller folder just 
got incredibly crowded and it was it just harder harder to find where things are like i mean you have the same html file and then the html folder right and you can also mount things in very configurable way you can use in the controller you can say hey uh, for page controller i want page 1 html and vice versa and uh, i i couldn't see i couldn't i couldn't try out a good pattern that made it look you know digestible <laughs> it might be my bias coming from you know like uh, mvc i did some rails before this too so maybe it's my bias but i think you might be right about the conspiracy theory about forcing us to use live view because <laughs> now we're just like plotting the controllers folder nowadays right yeah um i i before i was never really a big heeks fan but now i'm starting to to like it ooh i love it yeah, so th- there's definitely some cool stuff in there, especially that the new stream async stuff that they added in. That yeah. is uh, really nice. That's huge. We, uh, I think we just at, at our work we just up- updated Live View version with, so we can start start trying it out. <laughs> Everyone's really excited in the feature team for that. I feel like I've been a far removed from a lot of the Live View and uh, <laughs> Live View stuff lately, but um, I, f- I feel whenever I, I sort of stumble upon those live view modules, I, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- I think to be, to be, I think to be honest, I think our, uh, another cool thing about our uh, team is I think they, we've got some really good uh, feature people who understand Elixir, Phoenix and live view really well. Uh, in fact, they understand the details of the implementation mm-hmm. enough to, um, yeah, to I mean, like predict what could happen wrong, really quickly come up with a fix and stuff like that. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's it's a luxury to uh, work in a team where you know people know their shit. <laughs> Everyone knows their shit. <laughs> um, I guess that's a smooth transition to our picks because one of my picks is uh, the score is hiring, and my team is hiring. And if you want to work with Daniel, myself, and all the awesome members in our team, um, apply. Uh, there'll be a link to the, spe- the particular job um, that I'm talking about for our team. We're specifically looking for a staff and senior, but I know there's also an open role for a mid-level engineer. But yeah, if you want to do Elixir, you want to work with you know amazing team, you want to work with uh, your interest in sports or sports betting, even if you're not, I mean, I don't give a shit about sports betting, but I I, I love working at the score. Uh, yeah, uh, apply. Heads up, it's 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 a little bit of a crunch time, uh, as Daniel would probably agree with. But we were hoping things will smoothen up, and I think the rewards are pretty high. We're solving some really awesome problems. Probably, you know, a 95 percentile in the Elixir ecosystem in the complexity and. Um, you know, um, the impact of problems. Uh, so yeah, uh, there'll be a link in the, dis- uh, in the show notes, uh, please apply. Um, and I got another pick. Uh, this is like a sh- shout out to a- an old video game. Cause I'm, I'm, I was like, just like, I felt like playing Skyrim again. And yesterday I just spent half hour in the world of Skyrim and I just like did not want to leave it. And it's just a reminder that how awesome that game is. Uh, it, it's been what, like, it, it'll, it'll be like 12 years, right? Like 11, 11, 11. Yeah, it's over 12 years. So yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, yeah, I know the game has ha- had some remastered and stuff, but 
and I feel like this year has been a bit of a love for video games. Yes, Spider-Man came out and a couple of good ones came out. But um, if you want to, if you're into the Skyrim thing, I want to remind you, you can always go play it. Uh, I never deleted it from my console. So that, that's my video game pick. Alan, what you got for us? Yeah, I just have one pick. Uh, as I said, I went to Codebeam. Um, as part of going to Codebeam, uh, they asked me to uh, do some uh, interviews and, and kind of collide everything together. So I just did a couple of interviews with, uh, I think basically every other people probably know. Um, we got some previous guests on there. Uh, we got um, Ulrich, um, uh, Mihao, uh, Jose, uh, well, who else? Uh, quite a few people. Sorry, it's, I'm a little awesome. bit sick, so I'm a little bit, not all here. Uh, I, anyways, I, I put it on YouTube and uh, tweeted it and stuff. And, and if you were following CodeBeam and some other people like Francesco, they've also retweeted it. Uh, and also some people have also been there. Check it out. I think it's really interesting. So the, the questions I asked is kind of like, you know, introduce yourself. Uh, what were you doing before you worked with the Beam? Uh, why do you still stick in the community? Which I think is an awesome question to ask because for me, I always change stuff all the time. And then finally, like if we and I think you talked about this, you asked me this question today. Like, what what would you uh, change to make you know uh, working with the beam better, right? And then there's some really interesting answers in there. Of course, you have some people saying, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with it." Uh, I think there was also some people who who publicly said nothing wrong, but then they had some other things to say off camera. But uh, you know, next time coming to Code Beam, you'll hear. You got to tell us who those are. <laughs> Obviously, I cannot because uh, confidentiality. But you know. Um, Definitely, there's some really insightful answers, right? There's no bashing. It's just like straight, like, this is what I wish we would do. And I think it's, it's, it's great to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's kind of my pick. Awesome. Looking forward to checking that out. Um, Daniel, uh, do you have any picks for us? Yes, I do. Uh, pick is ESPN Bet, number one app on the App Store right now. Go check it out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for context, that's uh, uh, what the score work uh, bet have been working on for I don't know past how many months. Yeah, so yes, great, great call out, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> you got any other picks? Uh, yeah, any other? Yeah, sure. Like uh, any suggestions on what categories? Uh, you got any video game ones? That that those video are always active. yeah, yeah. It's I think I actually was reading through some of the um, sort of the contexts or the little blurbs under each of the podcasts and i saw that nicola when he was on here i think under his uh under i don't know what it's called but in that little text blurb under the actual podcast uh video thumbnail he said ragnarok so i was gonna pick ragnarok but i can't because he picked it already so i have to pick something else uh i haven't even played it yet i haven't opened it yet but i have final fantasy 16 uh so i'm gonna try that out and Started playing Demon Souls, so those two. Nice. Those are some really good games. Plus one to all of them. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's it for today, folks. Uh, thanks a lot, Daniel, for joining us. It was awesome chatting with you, and hopefully we'll have you again soon. Um, yeah, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And thanks a lot, Alan, for joining. I know you're not feeling 100% today, but appreciate that you were willing to join. Um, it, All for Daniel. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. I appreciate it. <laughs> There's a like, some mix without Alan. Uh, awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks again for tuning in. We will see you next week with uh, Sasha Yurik. <laughs>